Welcome to Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, and I'm in studio live streaming from our church campus, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, Tucson, Arizona, with our senior pastor, Scott Richards. That's me. And his right-hand man, all-around good guy, and protege, Sean Richards. How are you? That's the guy. That's the guy. Well, this is it. This is our last uh, episode for 2023. Important. For 2023. For 2023. Uh, We will be resuming uh, the A Reason for Hope broadcast uh, after the new year. I believe on January 2nd we'll be live again. Yeah, it'll be a Tuesday, so Bo and I will be back in action, and then you'll be back from Cali on Wednesday, so any uh, home invasion should be planned between now and then. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if if you're... uh, Planning on like swatting us and stuff like that. We won't be home during that. <laughs> and we will neither confirm nor deny any Kevin McAllister style booby traps waiting for you. Yes. That's the fun part. I get to help set those up. So that'll be fun. You, you get to neither confirm nor deny your participation yeah, I, in what may not be there. I know not. I know nothing. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us uh, on this uh, Friday evening or afternoon, wherever you may be listening from. Uh, this is a Reason for Hope, a Bible Answer program where you, our live stream audience, can ask us questions uh, about the Bible and the Christian faith, uh, comparative religions, uh, the historicity of the Bible, does God exist, did Jesus come back from the dead, that and many, many other questions we've answered over the many years that we've been doing this program. And so I'd encourage you to email us if you want to just email us directly a question that's been on your mind. You can do so at questionsforhope at gmail.com. If you want to join us on the live stream, just go over onto Facebook and search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, or just type in our address that goes directly to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash CCF Tucson. And of course, you can join us on YouTube as well. We simultaneously live stream to both platforms. So you can just go to youtube.com and search for A Reason for Hope, or type in the address directly to our channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at A Reason for Hope 546. And if you want to watch the live stream, <clears throat> but not engage in a social media platform, you can just go to our website, CalvaryChristianFellowship.com, and click the little Watch Live button. Not only can you watch this program, which we live stream Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, you can also join us on our services. We have a Wednesday evening Oasis service, where we are currently going through the book of Ezekiel, and our Sunday morning services, which are 9 and 11 a.m., and we are currently going through the book of Acts, and I'd like to encourage you to join us for our Sunday service this Sunday, um, which we have a Christmas Eve service. Uh, So our services will be 9 and 11, and of course, at 6 p.m., we will be having a special Christmas Eve service. So if you are an individual that uh, uh, struggles to get to church for work or whatever reasons on a regular basis, but you would like to celebrate with fellow believers, this time of year where we remember and recognize the most important event in all of human history that is god incarnating as a human being into real space and time and walking among us so i'd encourage you to join us um on christmas eve that's again 6 p.m this sunday i'd really love to see you all there we also have an app if you're part of our, our our community here uh download our app you can go to the google or apple play store And you can download a really nifty app that allows you to not only uh, have a digital Bible, create chat groups and and uh, or join chat groups, but you can also follow along all of our services live, get on top of any events that are going on in our community. 
and uh, so much more. So I'd encourage you to do that. You also have uh, a channel that you can add to any of the Amazon smart devices or Roku smart devices. So if you'd like to watch service from one of those smart TVs that have one of those devices connected to it, you can add our channel. Just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, the little red icon with the white dove, and you can watch us from wherever you are. So I'd encourage you to download the CCF app. And also, last but not least, follow our senior pastor, Scott Richards, on the X platform, formerly Twitter. His handle is at ScottR4H. Before we get to your questions, take a moment to pray and ask our Lord Jesus to be present with us and to speak through our words. And then we'll get to the questions in today's uh, news. Awesome. Oh, Lord, thank you so much that we can welcome your presence here. We pray <clears throat> that you would guide and direct us through your Holy Spirit, that uh, the questions that we answer and uh, the uh, things that we share would not be our takes, but would come straight from your word. Lord, your word is uh, able to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness, that, that any person who belongs to you, is going to be absolutely and perfectly equipped for every good work. I can't think of any greater blessing we could have. So, Father, we thank you again for another year of being able to share your truth each and every weekday like this. Uh, we pray, Father, that this broadcast uh, would uh, be the same, guided and directed by your Spirit, grounded in your Word. We ask for nothing else and nothing less than that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> wow. Lots going on. Uh, we wanted to get to a number of questions people have been asking about Christmas, so I'll do my best to uh, uh, give you a bit of a prophecy update in a fast-forward format. Uh, one of the reasons I want to do this is because there's a number of uh, issues here that definitely uh, should be a call to prayer for those of us mm -hmm. who belong to the Lord, who uh, stand with Israel in the midst of uh, the uh, response they had to the uh, horrific uh, Holocaust-level events that uh, took place uh, on October 7th. Uh, by the way, speaking of the Holocaust, a uh, Harvard uh, poll revealed that some 51% of those who define themselves as Generation uh, Z uh, do not believe the Holocaust ever took place. Have serious doubts about that. Especially so, uh, under the age of 21. Yeah, so uh, just stunning, but uh, there you go. Uh, anyway, uh, getting to the prophecy update here, very sad news. Uh, we are, are told on uh, the uh, website lucien.com that Gadi uh, Haggai uh, has become the first confirmed uh, American hostage that was murdered uh, in uh, the uh, captivity of Hamas in Gaza. Uh, Gadi uh, Haggai's uh, wife, uh, who is 70 years old, uh, remains in uh, her kidnapped state. So we need to continually pray uh, for the uh, hostages and that uh, the Lord would intervene and uh, allow uh, the, uh, the, this, this horrible set of circumstances to, uh, to resolve itself. Speaking of uh, resolutions, uh, we told you a little bit about Operation Prosperity, a guardian uh, that was announced by the United States in response to the Houthi rebels, uh, Houthi rebels operating out of the country of Yemen on the far southwest uh, corner of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. Well, uh, sounded like a good idea at the time. Uh, we talked about how 20 nations were going to band together to make sure that the Houthi rebels could not shoot at and or hijack uh, any kind of commerce that travels uh, through 
the Gulf of Aden and the uh, Red Sea, which uh, butt each other in that particular area. It is the gateway uh, to the Indian Ocean, to the Suez Canal, to the Horn of Africa, and, and so on. Uh, well, uh, that sounded uh, very good when Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin announced it, but uh, like a lot of good intentions, it seems to be falling apart before our very eyes. Uh, apparently, France stomped out of an organizational meeting uh, regarding Operation Prosperity Garden and has withdrawn all French uh, naval forces from being a part of this effort. France says they will only provide escort for French licensed tankers and cargo ships going through that particular area. Uh, they will not uh, guard American ships, Israeli ships, no others, just the French. Uh, the, France, the French are also encouraging other EU nations to follow in their footsteps, to not be a part of Operation Prosperity Garden and uh, guardian, I should say. And uh, so as you can see, uh, the whole effort is uh, pretty much uh, a non-starter for a number of reasons. We find out today, among other things, that uh, Prosperity uh, Guardian, Guardian's uh, United States contribution is really more theoretical than actual. Uh, when I say that, what I mean is, even though we have a couple of carrier groups in the area, what you need in order to be able to pull off an operation like this are naval-equipped uh, escort ships. We simply do not have them. Uh, apparently, a uh, major boondoggle in terms of upgrading our escort-class ships took place a few years ago, and we simply don't have the wherewithal uh, to be able to provide the kind of escorts that uh, United States-oriented traffic in the region requires. So uh, once again, we see ourselves shooting ourselves in the foot. But wait, there's more. One of the reasons that the Houthis are doing such a great job in this area of targeting and identifying tanker and cargo ship traffic in that particular area is, guess who's back involved right in the midst of it? I'll give you three guesses and the first two don't count. <laughs> um, go ahead, Sean. You give it a guess. Well, I'm pretty sure it's going to be an Islamic nation. Uh, you're getting close. Iran? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <sighs> I thought the uh, was too obvious. An article uh... on the hotair.com website. Uh, we are uh, told that uh, the Houthis are getting aid from some malevolent quarters. Uh, from the article, Iran's paramilitary forces are providing real-time intelligence to Yemen's Houthis that the rebels are using to direct drones and missiles to target ships passing through the Red Sea, Western uh, and regional security officials said. Tracking information gathered by a surveillance vessel controlled by Iran's paramilitary forces in the Red Sea is passed to the Houthis, who have used it to attack commercial vehicles passing through the Bab el-Mandeb Strait in recent days, said the officials. Many vessels sailing in the strait have been switching off their radios to avoid being tracked online, but an Iranian vessel stationed in the Red Sea is enabling the Houthi drones and missiles to accurately target the ships, the officials said. The direct involvement by Iranian actors in the attacks raises the stakes for Israel and the United States, who are eager to contain Tehran's role in the region and risk creating a new front in the conflict between Israel and its foes in the region, just as the United States is trying to stop it from escalating. So, uh, Iran 
is very boldly setting up shop in the midst of uh, the Red Sea, providing real-time information. But wait, there's more. Uh, how many of you, did Did either of you guys ever see uh, the movie Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks? I'm yeah. the captain now. Yes, the famous Look line. at me. Yeah, look at me. Um, well, that all went away after about 2017 because we got hardcore about uh, chasing down Somali pirates. But guess what? The Somali pirates now, sensing weakness in the region, are back in operation. Mm -hmm. They have hijacked an Australian ship and are holding it for ransom. So uh, <laughs> what we wow. are basically uh, coming to a conclusion on is this. The United States, <sighs> obviously, on paper, has tremendous military resources. But unless there is competent leadership to guide those resources, unless there is a, an ability to be able to rally, in a sense, our allies in a combined effort uh, to effectively use these resources, uh, unless there is a coherent strategy guarding and directing these resources, uh, you might as well not have the resources at all. Uh, and, uh, and the reason I bring this up is uh, because in the article on the Hot Air website, uh, a uh, naval analyst essentially uh, raised the questions that uh, should be on everybody's mind when it's getting so bad uh, that the Somalis are uh, hoisting the Jolly Roger again. Uh, why are we playing defense here? Uh, I'm told that uh, economically for the United States, like the USS Kearney, the destroyer in that area, to launch a munition to take out, say, a Houthi drone uh, costs roughly around $3 million per shot. Okay, that's a lot of dough, right? Guess how much it costs the Houthis to build and launch one of their suicide drones? $2,000. Now, I'm no expert on economics, but I can see that we're playing kind of a losing game, if you will. The other thing about uh, naval ships is this. Once they run out of munitions and they're at sea, unless another ship comes by and resupplies them, they're sitting ducks. They're sitting ducks. So uh, this thing is kind of going from bad to worse. It's reminiscent in many ways of the debacle in Afghanistan. Uh, and uh, it seems like the same individuals who are running the show there are running the show here. Now, why do things seem to be falling apart so rapidly for the United States? You know, people, well, you know, Scott, you're always talking about Genesis 12, 3, you know, God's going to bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. Well, a uh, very interesting uh, event took place at the UN Security Council. In another article on the PJ Media website by Rabbi Michael Barclay, who, by the way, uh, has a uh, synagogue in the Thousand Oaks area and uh, is uh, just been a tremendous, tremendous uh, spokesperson uh, for standing up uh, against anti-Semitism in that neck of the woods, I know, because I've come from that area. And, and uh, really, uh, uh, he and uh, some of the Calvary chapels in that area have even done some cooperative things together along that line. Uh, well, uh, Rabbi Barclay writes on the PJ Media website, this very interesting development. As expected, the United Nations Security Council adopted a resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire for Israel to let all aid go unchecked into Gaza 
without a single word of condemnation against Hamas. The vote was 13 in favor and zero against, with both Russia and the United States abstaining. Now, uh, fascinating uh, that this went down uh, because, uh, again, uh, the ambassador to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, whined after the abstention that she couldn't understand why other members wouldn't condemn Hamas. She complained that the other members weren't stopping evil and said that she was appalled at the silence of the evils of Hamas. Well, she's appalled at silence, but what is abstention if not silence? The United States remains silent in Israel's ultimate hour of need. Now, why is that so important? Well, again, Rabbi Barclay writes this, the ramifications of this resolution will be significant for every American and the whole world because it's a Security Council resolution. It's considered binding for UN countries. That means that if they choose to, the UN can impose international sanctions against Israel if they do not abide by the resolution which the anti-Semitic UN undoubtedly will. Simply put, if Israel doesn't allow humanitarian aid, quote-unquote, to go checked into, to go unchecked into Gaza without any inspection to find out if there's weapons or anything else going in there, without any kind of uh, guardianship over these humanitarian uh, uh, packages so that it does not go into the hands of, of Hamas, does not go to feed and provide nurture and uh, and strength for Hamas and the terrorists there. Uh, devastating economic sanctions could be placed against Israel. Now, this sends a signal. Uh, the resolution basically uh, gives a high five to all the Jew haters to attack Israel even more. And if you don't think that they're about the business of doing this, last night, a member of Congress was uh, holding a uh, party, a Christmas party, when a group of pro-Hamas demonstrators broke into the restaurant and severely beat several members of the group that was meeting there for this party. This is a member of Congress that we're talking about here. So uh, once again, uh, you know, when we talk about Operation uh, Prosperity Guardian and why it doesn't work, well, you know, I'm no uh, military genius. I've played a lot of risk in my life, but uh, that's about as far as it goes. But what possible uh, reason would there be to sit there and play defense uh, over these drones and missiles that are shot by the Houthi rebels at great financial cost when we supposedly, if I read my Tom Clancy novels correctly, have incredible satellite intelligence that can pinpoint the exact place where these missiles are launched. Uh, We should have the technology because these carrier groups in the area to be able to come in and take out the missile emplacements before they're able to be moved again. Um, Why aren't we going to the source? Why aren't we cutting things off? In a sense, cutting the snake off at the head. Apparently we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. So, Um, this all kind of comes down to one big prophetic question. I think we get asked a lot. Why isn't the United States mentioned in end times biblical prophecy? Well, there's three basic reasons that we come to this conclusion. By the way, um, in spite of what some clickbait slash pot boiler, um, 
newspaper eschatology on steroids uh, individuals might want you to think. The United States is not mentioned in biblical prophecy. You've got to fold, spindle, and mutilate uh, a number of scriptures clearly talking about uh, Israel historically to try to get them to face to fit in the United States. Uh, the the uh, notion that, uh, well, I could go into detail, but suffice it to say, uh, why is the United States mentioned in biblical prophecy? Why are we conspicuous by our absence? After all, aren't we the 800-pound military and economic gorilla on the block? Right now. Well, we are, but if our big bad U.S. military cannot deal with as insignificant a threat with significant impact for the world, 15% of all world maritime commerce goes through this particular place in the world on the way to the Suez Canal, 15%. Now, if these individuals can sit out there in the desert with their you know, mobile uh, pop guns and so forth and their $2,000 uh, suicide uh, drones and grind this commerce to a halt, but not all commerce, by the way, uh, very interesting. The Houthis are very selective about who they go after, thanks to the Iranians. Uh, you're from Saudi Arabia, you're from Qatar, you're from Iran. Uh, you can go without any problems whatsoever. But if you are anything relating to the United States, relating to the EU, relating to Israel, uh, all bets are off. So why is the United States not mentioned in biblical prophecy? Three possible reasons. Uh, number one uh, has been proposed that, uh, well, maybe the United States is going to go the way of Great Britain. A uh, hundred years ago, it was said that the sun never set on the British Empire, uh, that uh, as a maritime power, uh, there was no rival to Great Britain. They were the straw that stirred the drink. But after World Wars One, and certainly after World War II, Britain lost the stomach for being the great empire, if you will. It basically broke up you know, the Commonwealth, and uh, there's just sort of a, hey, we're friendly, but uh, certainly not part of an empire any longer. And Great Britain is an also-ran, although it's a nuclear power. Uh, certainly nobody fears the British like they used to. Well, why? Well, British basically lost the stomach for being the world's policemen, for lack of a better term. Uh, novels like Charles Dickens and, uh, made the, the case that they need to be taking care of the needs of their poor and their downtrodden citizens. Uh, you can't have, in a sense, a, uh, an investment in these kind of social services and at the same time have the uh, investment in the military wherewithal to run an empire. You've got to choose one or the other. And I think the United States is moving down the path to choosing that. We have this tremendous military, but again, the people who are pulling the trigger and uh, making the decisions and are more concerned uh, about pronouns and climate change than they are about military strategy. And by the way, the Houthis have been doing this sort of thing since 2015. As they say in military circles, there should have been a plan in the can for dealing with the Houthis already in place. But it's like, oh my goodness, we never thought this would happen. So, you know, the, the bottom line is the United States may be, not be mentioned in biblical prophecy because we're going to be like Great Britain, kind of a powerless sort of also ran and uh, toady to the Antichrist when he comes to power. Possible. The other possibility is uh, Joel Rosenberg and others have uh, posited in some of their uh, novels that the United States could be involved in some kind of a limited war that takes us out, in a sense, 
as a great power. I hope that doesn't happen. But there's a third possibility, and this is the one that I pray for, is that uh, according to the Barna organization, there are well over 50 million professing evangelical Bible-believing uh, Christians in the United States. Uh, say Barna's half right. Could you imagine what would happen in the United States, as opposed to a lot of nations in the world, if the rapture took place? Suddenly, you're without 25 million people. Do you realize what happened on 9-11 when just under 3,000 people lost their lives in one day? It took our economy about four years to recover. Could you imagine the uh, impact that would have on the United States? I like that point of view because it encourages me to uh, do my best to make sure that that's exactly what happens. How? By taking every opportunity I can to tell people about a living relationship with Jesus. To tell them that he died on the uh, cruel Roman cross for their sins, that he rose from the dead three days later so that we could have life. And all he asks in order for us to be part of his forever family is to simply put our faith and our trust in what he has done for us, to personally ask him to forgive us our sins and to come into our lives. Mm. And I hope if you haven't made that decision out there, you will. So um, sort of a, a little bit of a downer of a prophecy update, but continue to pray mm -hmm. for Israel. <clears throat> Apparently in Gaza, uh, they are making uh, some progress now into some of the uh, most uh, Hamas-dominated uh, areas that's in, that are involved there. Uh, pray for our leaders that they will see fit to stand with Israel because, uh, I mean, the, the, uh, the amazing flip-flopping that is going on here. Yesterday, we talked about how uh, you know, again, uh, our Secretary of State made this strong statement about Israel can go ahead and do whatever they want, and how come nobody's condemning Hamas? Then the next day we see this at the UN. So um, <clears throat> don't put your faith and tr trust in princes. Put your faith and your trust in the Lord. And, and pray and use whatever uh, connections you have with your elected representatives to say we need to stand fast mm -hmm. with Israel during these days. And not to hammer the point into the ground, but I've done the homework, so you may as well benefit from it. Understand that the Somali pirate issue, as well as the ongoing practice of piracy in Muslim lands, is nothing new. In fact, our marine branch was founded in order to combat Muslim piracy in 1805. To the shores of Tripoli, Tripoli which is in Libya, Libya. and yeah. it was referencing the Barbary pirates, Berbers referencing Northern Africa. So when we're talking about, and this was in uh, transcripts for negotiations, when Ben Franklin was reaching out to them asking after the Revolutionary War, literally our second war was with Islam. And they said, why are you attacking us? We have no qualms with you. And he says, well, we invite you to Islam as in accordance with the Sunnah of the Prophet. If you convert to Islam as a nation, then, of course, you are under the uh, requirement to provide us with your, uh, 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 what's the Arabic word for it? Their charitable donations specifically to Muslim causes, which can include terrorism, by the way. Or you become dhimmis, you submit to a poll tax in accordance with Surah 929, or we fight you. And since you have not proposed tribute to us, you have not converted to Islam, then we are at war. Well, that is the mindset of these Somali rebels. They are attacking trade and port, which was their entire dealings with, with Europe throughout the time of the Middle Ages. And the reason why it became the Dark Ages, because no one wanted to go to port cities. That was their target, and that has remained the tactic of Islam for 14 centuries. Since this is an ideological war that Islam is not only dominating the world in, 
but also the United States is unwilling to fight, that's another thing that you need to arm yourself for. Yes, home defense is important, but brain defense is equally important. And the more and more that policies are being put in place in combating Islamophobia, after over a thousand Hebrews are being slaughtered in the name of Islam, you see where our State Department's priorities are. Be informed about what the actual ideas are motivating these monsters and try to convert them from monsters into people <clears throat> because that's who Jesus died for. Also note uh, real briefly two prayer requests, uh, one from CC in our comment section. His mm -hmm. grandma may or may not make it through uh, to Christmas. They want her to, but mm -hmm. she is definitely struggling. Mm -hmm. And also a uh, brave sister in Christ. We have uh, sung the praises of several times in this broadcast. Tatoon Tosh has just been reported missing. Um, she has been in absentia for the last couple weeks, but being the lioness that she is, she just doesn't ask permission. She just goes off. Now, Hatun Tosh is an interesting person because of her conversion to Christianity, correct? Yeah, she was Not the daughter. Yeah. yeah, she is a daughter of an imam in Turkey. She took her life into her hands to accept the Lord. She fled for her life and is presently hopefully living in England. She was partner with Jay Smith, one of Adrian's mentors in apologetics, the first uh, basically PhD polemicist, meaning to contend for the faith, going the offense yeah. against other And <clears throat> one of the first persons in history to collect enough Qurans to, beyond a shadow of a doubt, prove that the Quran has not been perfectly revealed, perfectly preserved, and completely unchanged. And they've mm -hmm. attempted beatings, lynchings. She has 19 of them, right? Oh, is that in the 40s more? now. Yeah, yeah in the 40s it's a lot. Yeah. The, when they displayed them on Speaker's Corner for the first time, it was, I think it was 26. Yeah. Wow. But um, she's been beaten, she's been lynched, she's been stabbed, she's been wrongfully imprisoned by the British government because mm -hmm. Muslims attacked her and the British arrested her for inciting them. And on and on it goes when the October 7th, uh, I guess, demonstrations in support of Hamas were going off. She didn't ask permission. She just went out to witness to them, and no one's heard from her since. Yeah. So we haven't heard anything. They escorted her to the train. They, no one knows where her address is because it's kept a secret. Not even her closest friends know where she lives. That's part of her protection. So mm -hmm. they always escort her to the train station for her to go home, whatever that route may be each time. <clears throat> and they haven't. They got some spurious emails that seem like it may have been sent by somebody else. There is a huge possibility that she got kidnapped, but um, then again, she could have just been off doing her own thing. <laughs> yeah, so, she she's definitely got more spine than all of Islam put together. Mm -hmm. But the point is, uh, pray for her yeah. because we haven't heard anything, so we can't conclude anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I it just reminds me of uh, uh, our friend Brian Duncan, the uh, Christian musician. Uh, posted this on uh, his uh, Twitter feed. He quoted Anne Lamott, who said, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. <laughs> I think that's yeah. nice. Yeah. That yeah. pretty much that's, sums up that's the thing uh, that where, where things are at. And by the way, if you want to uh, read more about uh, what uh, Rabbi uh, Michael Barclay said and the details of the UN uh, abstention by the United States and the Security Council, uh, we'll have it up on our uh, X platform here before too long. Great. Yeah, and, and if you want to know more about the nation of Israel, understand its place in biblical prophecy, we are hosting a conference 
uh, on January 19th, I'd encourage you to check it out. Go to our website, CalvaryChristianFellowship.com, and uh, if you if you register between now and January 7th, you'll get a 50% discount. If you're in the Tucson area or anywhere in the southwest and you'd like to come down to Tucson for this conference, uh, I'd encourage you to go. Just just go to our website. It's right on the homepage, and uh, I would be happy to have you for that if you really want to kind of dive deep. Yep. <laughs> Dive deep, we shall. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a question that was sent to us uh, from Robbie. How do we know? Um, and we'll get and we'll try to get through something. We don't have a lot of questions, and then we'll end with uh, our Christmas uh, challenges. But Robbie wants to know how do we know that the hundred and forty-four thousand predicted in the Book of Revelation, this hundred twelve thousand from each of the twelve tribes of Israel will actually be sharing the gospel. Where do we get that idea that they're going to be 144,000 evangelists? Yeah, it's basically a one-to-one association. If you run into someone who either is bringing assumptions to the text that says, well, those aren't Hebrews, so obviously whatever follows can't also plainly mean what it says, then it's no wonder you're having trouble understanding the text. But when it comes to Revelation 7, and we take a futurist, premillennial, dispensationalist, and pro-Israel stance in approaching Revelation, uh, if you want to know what that means, feel free to ask. But the idea of taking the text plainly as referring to future events, we essentially follow the flow of the conversation the same way we would any other Old Testament book of Jewish prophecy, because that's the genre, in a sense, of John's uh, book here. Now, in Revelation chapter 7, we're given a pause. Chapter 6 discusses the seal judgments, and then, as the sixth of the seven seals are opened, there are judgments that are poured out on the world, some social, some financial, some political, and one even geographical. But then there's a pause, and chapter 7 begins by basically making another reference to the Old Testament, imagine that, and it notes these four angels standing north, east, south, and west, holding back the winds as judgments about to be poured out. See Revelation chapter 8. But they're told, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. So these individuals who are going to be sealed aren't being given the mark of the beast, they're being given the mark of God. And they're referred to as servants. What service do they provide? We're not told yet, but we are told who they are. 12,000 from the children of Israel. 144,000 12 times. Now, it's interesting that Levi is mentioned, and Joseph is mentioned, Ephraim is not, and Dan is not. There are theories as to maybe there aren't enough of the tribe of Dan left to populate. There are references to the book of Hosea where it mentions Ephraim is given to her idols, leave her alone, that they would somehow composite the tribe of Joseph in this because Joseph was Ephraim and Manasseh. He was the firstborn, quote-unquote, of the family. He was counted as two people, so his blessing went to his two sons. Now, all that then being said, it then goes on from verse 8 to 9, mathematically, and says this, after these things, what things? The verses 1 through 8 things. Am I being unreasonable here? Not as far as I can tell. (laughs) John says, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, where is the throne and where is the Lamb? In heaven. So these people from every nation got there, not, uh, I assume, through 
rapture. No. We'll find out later in the chapter, but it means that they've died. Yes. Now that's interesting. But continuing on, it notes, and their worship before God is an interesting one. We don't have time to discuss it in detail. But verse 13 mentions something specific. It says, One of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And then it notes that they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb and goes on to make a reference to the book of Joshua. So here's the interesting thing. When we're told about these individuals, they are locationally in heaven. They were formally on earth, so we know the where, now and before. We know the when as during the tribulation, not before, not post, but during. They're out of the great tribulation. And they've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Now, does it mean that they really like red? Or is that a term used equivalently for salvation? I would say that's a euphemism for salvation. Now, here's where we put the pieces together. Chapter begins introducing 144,000 servants. If you hate the Jews and can't imagine that God would ever use someone whose ethnicity you don't like, fine. But this number of people are mentioned at the start of the chapter. The chapter then continues with what? people are saved and in heaven worshiping God. How did they get there? Who told them the good news? Well, either I have to completely disassociate the chapter from itself, within itself, or I say A correlates to B, and maybe even A caused B. Why were they anointed? Why were they sealed? Why were they called servants? What service did they provide? The same service that we do. That's the step of interpretation that we're making. Now, people may get hot and bothered and say, well, it doesn't say missionaries. It doesn't say evangelists. It doesn't even say, you know, witnesses. It just says they were sealed. So they just kind of stood around and people got saved for some reason. No, I think that they were doing something. They were sealed for a purpose, just like we are called and sealed for that purpose, a la Ephesians 1 and 2. So the point we're making is this. How do we come to that conclusion? By adding one and two. If you say, well, there's no plus sign there. Well, I see three, and I see one and two, so why shouldn't I conclude that? Chapters, or chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, mention the servants. Verses 9 through 15 mention what? The outcome of those people showing up. Right. That's why we make that conclusion, that they were sharing the gospel, because with that, apart from Christ, apart from the gospel, no one's getting into heaven. That's the point. Well done. Thanks. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, <clears throat> we will take a moment now, since the um, holiday of Christmas is coming not many days from now, to answer the common objections that many people, I should say those in the church, have against celebrating Christmas. I run into it all the time. Uh, people won't Christmas. have Christmas trees in their homes, um, and, they, and they'll offer some of these objections. And so I, I thought, well, what does Google have to say <clears throat> um, if I were to ask uh, whether Christians should celebrate Christian, uh, Christmas or not. Let us consult and, uh, <laughs> Shake Google. <laughs> and I was curious as to which sites, uh, usually when a, with Google will recommend a site that answers this question, it'll recommend sites that are getting hit a lot. So I did the search, multiple devices, came to this website, and they're offering four reasons Christmas is not a Christian holiday. 
Cheeky. So the first one is Christmas is not a Christian holiday because it is associated with many pagan birth myths. And December 25th was not the date of Christ's birth. In other words, um, it says December 25th wasn't assigned to be the date of Christ's birth until about 300 years after he was born. Um, why this date? Well, it was chosen to encourage followers of a variety of pagan religions that celebrated that day to convert to Christianity. Those go. pagan celebrations included the Roman Saturnalia and the like. birthday of the Persian god Mithra. So um, <laughs> really? that's the first objection, is that the date was not a Christian date, but a pagan date, and the practices were pagan, but Christians wanted to reach out to the pagans, so we decided to uh, uh, take that route. Christianized Saturnalia Yeah. theory. Yes. Yep. So there you go. That's Oh boy. So they, they they mention Mithra specifically. Do they they give a citation in the sacred text that we don't have from them? Uh they do have a couple links about if you want to take a deeper dive what we do know about the birth of Jesus, they have that. But other than that, they provide no sources, no citations and no facts. Just that's Well, well let's get into Saturnalia in a minute. I can be real brief with this one. You know where we find out about the birth of Mithra? Me either. You know where we find out about the entity known as Mithra? Me either. (laughs) So these are made up. The entity, the Roman deity known as Mithra, is one of the, I guess, poster children, or the, uh, not necessarily the punching bag, but I guess the boxing glove of Jesus mythicists because they want to have something as ambiguous as possible that they can shoehorn in stuff with and say, well, I'm a scholar, I've studied this, and not get called out on it. The one and only thing, I was being facetious, by the way, we know a little bit about Mithras, but and it all comes per- from... it's the Persian god Mithra. Yeah, there's a Roman one, there's a Persian one, there was a few others, but the only thing we actually know about Mithra proper in any meaningful sense is one inscription on one rock, and it notes some details about how the rituals were performed, and ironically enough, guess what? Dates post-Christianity, when Christians were actually in the area. So who borrowed from who, if there are any similarities? Now, I I made a joke on my YouTube page, and again, it's kind of crass, so I'll be pensive about it, but the point being made is they say, well, Jesus was born of a virgin, just like Mithra, and I actually go to the inscription on the rock and notes that Mithra, at some time, for reasons left unknown, emerged from a rock, but don't worry, the rock was also a virgin. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's the point. We know next to nothing, but they're banking on your ignorance in order to make any substance to that claim. Now, there are some Romans officials that made comments about the Mithra cult, but because, like any other mystery religion, no one actually knew anything apart from the initiated, they intentionally kept those things Mm. quiet. So if you're speaking abundance out of a vacuum, what are you offering? Nothing because you're drawing it from nothing. Mm -hmm. We know nothing, and they wanted it that way. Now, some of the rituals did have some parallels with communion, but once again, check the dates. They took it from Christians, not the other way around. The point being made, though, is that that's a blatant lie. They know nothing. They're claiming to know something, so either they don't know what they're talking about, or Mm -hmm. they do, and they hope we don't. And the winter solstice is not on December 25th. The date (laughs) comes because in ancient times great men would often die on the day of their birth. That was a cultural assumption, yeah. Yeah, and that, uh, it was a, a conception, cultural conception, by the way. Yes. They the day, died the I'm same sorry, day they are conceived. Yes, and so they did the math. You, you take the day of the proclamation of Jesus' uh, conception, 
or his birth and then subtract the, or add the nine months and then yeah we to, knew when he died it was passover which is late march you add nine months to that brings you to late december right. so that yeah. was their guess when they say things like oh saturnalia well that was celebrated most of the time on december 15th to 17th not 25th yeah. you say oh sol invictus well the date once again got moved around a lot it wasn't moved mm -hmm. to december 25th until the 300s, so now who's arguing from borrowing? The point being made is they are hoping we don't know what they're talking about and take their word for mm. it. So if someone gives citation source, trust me, bro, don't. Yeah. But let's go more into so that. So its historic roots is bogus uh, Christian. <laughs> in terms of the Christians wanted to celebrate the birth of Jesus. They weren't trying to appease pagans. They weren't... Um, these weren't pagans converting to Christianity and maintaining some of their pagan holidays. This is actually a distinct... Uh, Western celebration of the birth of Jesus that always has been. Yeah, there were uh, not Christians, the Jesuits, who did attempt that, but that wasn't until the 1500s in response to the Protestant Reformation, and their co-opting of pagan symbols wasn't in the holidays. We have plenty of Christmas celebrations long before that, mm -hmm. but their attempts to harmonize or literally, I won't use the word, but to amorphize Christianity with pagan culture to get faster converts, that was a Jesuit thing. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the Norse pagans, our ancestors, were actually Aryans, so Jehovah's Witnesses eat your heart out. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah uh, you know, as far as uh, Christmas being on, or Jesus' birth being on December 25th, uh, well, I think you got a 1 out of 365 chance of being right on that, but is there any evidence whatsoever that this was the day that Jesus was born. You know, well, apart from singing on a cold winter's night that was so deep, um, we don't know when Jesus was born. Uh, what we do know is that according to Luke chapter 2, that we're in the same country, shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Uh, these uh, pastured sheep would uh, tend to be uh, in barns and other structures along that line during the cold of winter. Uh, but uh, during springtime or other seasons or fall, summer, uh, it was not uncommon for shepherds to watch over their flocks out there in the altogether, if you will. So um, that's really about the only thing we know as far as timing is concerned. Um, there are those who will, uh, will say, well, um, you know, again, uh, we can tie this into a Jewish festival and then add nine months to all of that, and that's how we get to December 25th, uh, you know, one of the uh, spring festivals of, of Judaism, uh, Passover, or things along this line. Um, it's a reach because we simply are not told. The, the, the fact is it's not so important what day Jesus was born on as much as it's important that Jesus was, in fact, born that he did come into this world in a verifiable, historical way. Um, you know, I guess what it comes down to, and this, I think, brings a lot of the threads together, at least for me, is, is this. Um, you know, people say, well, what about Saturnalia? What about Sol Invictus? And, and, uh, and so on. And I read this, this book by this bishop who supposedly researched all of this stuff, but provides no footnoting as to where he got stuff, but that's another story. Um, okay. Let's say, for sake of argument, 
that, uh, well, maybe Christians looked at Saturnalia and said, hey, you know, let's, uh, let's co-op this. This is a great outreach. They don't have to do these other things they used to do. We'll make it the birth of Jesus in all this. Saul Invictus, apparently Constantine was raised in that particular cult before his uh, supposed conversion and so on. But, you know, the, the, the thing is you can chase down all of these uh, rabbit trails but the bottom line is this. Uh, if you're going to celebrate Christmas, uh, you should determine whether you're going to celebrate it or not uh, by current usage, not origin. Uh, in other words, uh, if I celebrate Christmas because I love Jesus, and I think it's a wonderful thing uh, once a year to remember that uh, the story of Jesus doesn't begin with the words once upon a time, in a galaxy far, far away, uh, you know, uh, you know that we are dealing uh, with the the recognition that God entered into the affairs of human nature. Uh, Michael Card's famous song, "El Shaddai," your most awesome work was done through the frailty of your son. Uh, I, I think if you are remembering that, and you're giving gifts to one another to remember what uh, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 or in verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, um, then knock yourself out. If those sort of things are stumbling to you, well then, Romans 14, the whole thing. One man recognizes a day above all others, another sees every day the same. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You know, it's like the whole deal about, you know, should we worship God on the Sabbath or not? Well, you know, I think it's great if you want to set aside one day out of the week to specially have a day where you set aside your work and focus on God. But it doesn't make you more righteous if you do or less righteous if you don't. Hmm. It's a matter of personal conviction. Uh, you know, do we set aside a particular day to remember Jesus' birth? You know, great. But if, if that doesn't float your boat, if that stumbles you, then don't do it. You're completely free in Christ to do either of those things. Uh, you know, for me personally, I, I love Christmas time. You know, I just love the fact that, uh, that we remember this awesome thing that God has done for us. And, and, and I love the fact that our, you know, family gets together and, and uh, you know, that we share our love with each other. And I love the fact that uh, at our Christmas uh, Eve services, there's always people there who want to go to church any other time during the year, but they'll hear the gospel that night. Uh, why would I want to get in the way of that? So, you know, again, if you want to chase down historical rabbit trails mm. and try to say, well, your Christmas tree is an Asherah pole, uh, if you're bowing <laughs> down and worshiping your Christmas tree and performing bizarre and degrading rituals in front of it, I highly recommend you stop that. But if you just like the smell of pine in your living room, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Do you? No. Uh, and just to make sure we're giving citation for our claims here, uh, you mentioned the Persian one specifically for Mithraism. Um, the birth of Mithra was one where he was created as an adult from Aramazda. There's two main gods in Zoroastrianism, uh, Aramazda or Armazd, as he's sometimes called, and Araman, the evil god and the good god. The good god created Mithra as an adult at just some specified point in time in the uh, Avesta. This is K-H-O-R-D-A, Avesta, 6 through 7. Mm -hmm. You can read more about it yourself, but you're not going to find a lot of interesting dates or names or Christians borrowing it. The Roman one mentioned in uh, instructions, Kamadani, 
instruction oris. Uh, that's in verse 13, that he was born out of a rock, and that is taken with a lot of liberty from a picture of him killing a cow. So have fun with that. Uh, the only <laughs> real parallel any of them have with Christianity is that they celebrated his day on Sunday, and there's a different reason Christians celebrated on Sunday. And I think the individual who made the resources available for us here online said there's only seven days in a week and a lot of significant ancient figures eventually there's going to be some overlap you don't have to accuse any parallel with intentional borrowing mm. so well the next uh, objection is the practices oh boy that we have during christmas is are not christian uh they're tradition from paganism not the bible the tree cookies singing gift giving lights these are all pagan practices. In fact, Jeremiah says, don't take a tree and turn it into an idol, which is exactly what Christians are doing because they're mimicking what pagans do uh, with trees and making them into idols and worshiping false gods. And so by us engaging in the exact same pagan practices that pagans did, we are in a sense participating in a pagan holiday uh, that's not biblical. Well, again, I think we can kind of get to the heart of the matter in all of this uh, by, once again, um, first of all, saying that uh, the origins of Christian practice, as far as, Christ, as far as Christmas are concerned, are pagan in origin. This is far from certain. We just simply do not have enough historical evidence to be able to make that case, as ironclad as some people uh, seem to want to make it, at least uh, those people online. But I think really it kind of comes down to this. Uh, whatever we do uh, in these situations, any word or symbol or custom, it's determined by current usage, not origin. Uh, if you go to gotquestions.com, .org, which is a great site for getting your biblical questions answered, they do a really good job of emphasizing this. And one of the illustrations that they give is this. Uh, on their website, they say, many words and practices have departed from their origins, no longer mean anything close to what they once did. For instance, the swastika has been around for thousands of years as a symbol of good fortune. It was therefore reasonable for the Nazi party to take this as their symbol, as they emphasized they were the party to bring good times back to Germany, which was going through hard times after World War I. However, it would be absolute foolishness for a person to decorate his home today with swastikas based on their real meaning. The swastika has been so thoroughly identified with the Holocaust that in current culture, it's a symbol for anti-Semitism and all things evil. The original meaning of the symbol is completely irrelevant. And so, you know, the, the swastika might have been fine if you lived 300 years ago, but it certainly isn't fine now. In the same way, when we take a look at the symbols and the things that surround Christmas, um, we got to ask ourselves a question. Okay, are there any of the practices that we get involved with in Christmas that are uh, completely forget forbidden by the Word of God? No, not unless you play fast and loose with a lot of scriptures. There are people who would turn to the book of Jeremiah where it notes not to copy the ways of the pagan, and then they'll say, well, see, those were ways that the pagans did. And they'll even say, well, see, they cut down a tree. See a tree. Yeah, yeah what do they do with the tree? They make an idol out of mm -hmm. it. And unless you're carving a statue with th women with not enough clothes on them and dancing around it and imitating the axe, I mean... Have yeah. fun on Christmas how you want, but I don't think that's a very Christian thing to do. That's and the point. Many of the traditions actually were began by, like the trees were began in Germany, 
as a Christian tradition, not a copy of a pagan tradition. It was based on a plague with Adam and Eve, the paradise trees. Yeah, right, exactly. Some even say it started with Martin Luther. Uh, In fact, uh, even Santa Claus is based on a real person in history who was actually... A got, into a, <laughs> got into a fist fight at the uh, Council of Nicaea. <laughs> yeah, with Arius, uh, St. Nicholas of Myra. That's who yeah, and, and, Nicholas is. You want on. me to get in trouble right now? Do it. Um, <laughs> you know, as far as. We all have today. <laughs> as, as far as, like, say, Christmas trees and putting lights on things and uh, drinking eggnog. That is the weirdest name for a drink I've ever heard in my life. Nog. It sounds like something from caveman yeah. days but uh <laughs> but uh when we take a look at uh, at these kind of things we have to remember uh if we can use even these kind of things to present the message of jesus mm-hmm. we need to do it and we have biblical warrant for this in acts chapter 17 when paul was invited to speak to the be- be- best and most uh, uh on top of it minds in the whole roman empire at the Oropagus, what did he start out by doing he said, men of Athens, I perceive in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul uses this pagan altar, right, as a launch point to be able to share the good news of Jesus with these people at the Oropagus. Um, you know, why have a Christmas tree? Why have lights? You know, why sing Christmas carols? Because it's a springboard to be able to share the good news of mm-hmm. Jesus this time of year. And I think if you do that and you stand before yeah. the Lord someday and say, that's why I celebrated Christmas, I think he'll give you two thumbs up. Many of the great hymns were originally bar songs. Yeah. Charles Spurgeon take pub songs and turn them into hymns. <laughs> yeah, so Mighty Fortress is our God. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful Merry Christmas celebrating the coming of our Lord and have a happy new year. We'll see you in 2024. God bless you and Merry Christmas. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.